This morning, uh, if you didn't gather it already, we're going to be talking a little bit about salt and light. Um, so you know, uh, just to catch up and recap, we've been going over the Sermon on the Mount, and Gerald's been doing a number of lessons on the Beatitudes, and we're now out of that. Just to recap the Beatitudes, if you have never heard what that is before, it's best basically just the, you know, blessed are the so-and-sos, for theirs is the so-and-so. So, Essentially, what we need to understand of that is that is Jesus' big welcome to everyone as he begins preaching on the side of a mountain 2,000 years ago. This really happened. Let's make sure we get that. This really happened physically on this earth 2,000 years ago across a big old pond. and Jesus literally talked to people. And he was talking to everyone and he was saying, hey, I have a new way. He says, I have a kingdom that is not of this world, and it's not of the patterns that you know and are fed up with. It's a beautiful one. It's one that is so awesome. He says here, everybody who has an ear, listen to what we have to say. And so now we get into essentially the meat of his lesson, right? And so Jesus begins by saying a few words to us as people who have believed his message. We've heard the idea of, hey, There's a new kingdom here, and we want to be a part of it. We've responded. We've said, yes, I want to follow after you. We've put our faith in him. We've been baptized into him. We've repented of our sins, all of that. And now, what's in it for us? What do we have that we have to do, Jesus? We're part of your kingdom. What are our marching orders? And if you would, let's look at Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. It says this, Marcus read it a little while ago. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, I've been going to church a little while, about 26 years, and every time I've heard this passage of Scripture preached by some amazing preachers, they usually stop at this moment and they say the question, what is salt? What does salt do, right? And they usually have something along these three lines. Three uses of salt, it preserves So it preserves things like meat. It adds some flavor. Some of you like it a little bit more than others to add flavor. And it disinfects. So perfect. Three ways that salt's used. We can come up with some really great ways to look at that and see how that impacts us as Christians. Also, there are three ways that we use light, three uses of light. One, it illuminates. It shines light on the subject, right? It shows us what's around us. It also casts a little bit of warmth, especially if it's from a fire. 
it also attracts. And so, in a preacher's world, that is three perfect points. Most preachers love it. Three-point sermon, boom, we're good to go. Unfortunately for all of you this morning, I do not have a Bible degree. So, I have 13 points that I want to make on this lesson. Just kidding. So, I would like to start, however, by focusing on one way that salt and light are similar. And it's something that I mentioned a few weeks ago. And that is, number one, salt, it makes you thirsty. If you touch some salt to your tongue, you can't help but just ask for a drink of water. And as we know, Jesus is living water. He's the one that can halt any thirst that you might have. And also, as we know, if you've ever been in a dark place, and you see a bit of light, you typically want to go to it. So light and salt, they attract. They don't just attract people to us for us. No, they attract people to us so that they can know the true one. They can know Jesus. So that's one way that salt and light are similar, but I also want us to look at some ways that salt and light are different. Some distinctions, some contrasts. Why would Jesus use three little mashed-up parables to essentially tell us one thing? He's basically just telling us how we are to operate within society. And he uses three parables in order to do so. The first difference between salt and light is this, and that is distance. See, light, it can operate at a bit of a far distance. And so, I'm not going to point this at anyone, because it's pretty bright. But, everybody see the baptistry area back there? See how kind of dark it is down that hallway? How about now? You see it a little bit better? Look how far away I am. I'm just using this little thing. Granted, Spirit told me how much these batteries cost, so I'm not going to use it anymore. But, that's a pretty powerful thing, is it not? To be able to be that far away, but still be useful, still be able to accomplish what you're there for. See, there's part of the gospel message, there's part of the gospel that can be preached. It can be sent out broadcast, if you will. The idea is preaching the gospel is something that's done to the masses. You can do it to a broad scope, and you don't even have to be that close to anybody. I listened to a message from a guy that's halfway across the world the other day. It's pretty incredible, but the coolest thing about it is that preaching, preaching the gospel, it's, it's never been something that's really in style. And therefore, right now, at least in our society, we're all about what's in, right? You see it, technology and stuff is moving so fast. Our clothes are just a little bit different from what they once were, right? And a lot of us probably have started to lose faith in the preaching of the gospel. We start to think that maybe there's just a better way. Maybe we shouldn't be doing that because it doesn't just draw the crowds like we think it used to. But in reality, preaching has never been a popular thing. In order for something to go out of style, that means that it had to have been in style. It's kind of like me. I've never really been one who's been in style. So therefore, I'm not, you know, shifted by any of the changes that happen. I don't care about the new brands that pop up. Walmart's doing just fine. So, the idea is this. Preaching the gospel is something that is tried and true. It's been working for 2,000 years and is just as effective today at changing people's hearts and lives 
as it was 2,000 years ago. I pray that we believe that. I pray that we recognize the importance of it. So, the question is, are we losing faith in the preaching of the gospel? Maybe part of the reason that we do is because we struggle to really communicate it. We struggle with the preaching of the gospel because we have a hard time explaining just what it is. To quote John Piper, he said, Good news that is not explained is not only not news, it's not even good. If we can't explain this beautiful message that we have, it's really not even worth saying, is it? Maybe that's part of it. How can you explain it to anyone if you haven't understood it yourself? So while light operates at a distance, salt is a little bit different. In fact, it's very different. Those of you who cook, you might recognize that if I hold a little piece of salt this close to a piece of meat, it's not going to do anything. Unless I touch it to the meat, it has no effect. There's very stark contrast here. So there is a part of the gospel which us as Christians, as the salt of the earth, we, must, we cannot communicate it unless we make contact with someone else. We just simply can't. We're talking about hospitality, discipleship, knowing people, getting to know people. That part of the gospel message is not something that can just be broadcast. That's not something that we can pay a guy to do. That part of the gospel message is something that I am called to. We reach out wherever God has placed us. And when we do, we usually find that there is a world out there that is broken, it is hurt, and it is dying. All of you work in some profession, one or the other. Many of you work in very noble professions, I would say. Areas where you are helping people, your teacher, you know, you give people hope. Others of you, you know, maybe you're in professions where you enjoy inflicting pain on others, such as dentistry. But the question is, regardless of wherever you are, no matter what your job is, what you do on a daily basis, the question is, are you salt there? Are you reaching out to the people around you? Are you striving to make contact with them? Because there's a part of the gospel that cannot work unless that happens. Number two, the point of contrast is visibility. So, light, by nature, works in a way that we can see it. Right? You all saw, as I pointed that light over here, what was happening. Light, by nature, is visible. Whereas salt works differently. Salt, you usually don't see what's actually happening. You can't see the work that's being done. Its operation is completely invisible, and there are parts of discipleship, there are parts of that process and sharing the gospel that go completely unseen to the masses. If you've ever done any type of counseling, I think you understand what I'm talking about here. There's parts of this, this process, this process of bringing people to Christ where there are certain things that you just don't broadcast. You don't bring it to light. Of course, it would probably be pretty entertaining if we just all got up here and started talking about all that, right? I remember seeing this cartoon. It was this preacher who was marrying these two people, and he's, he gets to the point where he says, 
there is anyone who knows any lawful reason why these two shouldn't be joined in lawful matrimony, or if you have any general gossip that would be interest to the congregation, speak of now. We don't do that. There's parts of this process that we don't have to tell everybody. We tell some people, and they help us. There's part of the process of the discipleship and coming to Christ that isn't just put on display for the world to see. The question is, do you value the invisible work that must be done? It's not as flashy, it's not as entertaining, it usually goes unrewarded, but I'm here to tell you it's some of the most important work that we do as a congregation. In fact, if we're not doing that work, I would say that we are very much crippling ourselves. And this is very pertinent right now, because as many of you know, our preacher is you know, retiring after almost 50 years in ministry. How incredible. And we pray continually for Gerald and Loann as they transition out of that. We thank God and we praise God for the work they've done. And we pray for the next person that's coming along to, to stand in his place. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we don't neglect the importance and the importance of being the salt which works often in an invisible way. We have to be willing to do the invisible work of the gospel. Number three, the third contrast, hiddenness. Similar to visibility, this is a contrast really that I want to talk about between the two types of light that Scripture and Jesus tell us that we are to be. The first one is here, you're a city on a hill, you cannot be hidden. Simply put, you cannot hide a city on a hill. Don't, don't try. It's not going to be easy. And it's ineffective. People know parts of your life as a Christian. You simply can't hide them. You woke up this morning, got ready, drove your car away, and all your neighbors probably saw it. Everybody that's here is looking at you right now, and they see that you're here. There's part of being a Christian that you can't hide from other people. But then we get to that idea of this little light of mine, right? That personal light that I'm supposed to share. And while we shouldn't hide it under a bushel or a basket, the truth is that we can. We can hide certain parts of our faith. The question is, have we as Christians lost our public voice? Have we decided to take our Christianity, and aside from the you know, coming to church and this, this public aspect of it, have we decided to keep it completely private and hidden from those of us that we see on a regular basis, from those that we work with, from those that we go to school with? Are we choosing to hide part of our Christianity? When you are with family, friends, coworkers, people who don't know Christ, people who are not Christians, can you speak to them about Jesus? Can you do it? Would you feel happy answering their questions? Or if someone were to come up to you at your work, your workplace, and they were to ask you a question, would you see it as a danger? Or would you see it as an opportunity? These are, these are hard questions. They're not easy ones, but these are the things that Christ has called us to. He's called us to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth. And the results of failure between salt and light are very different in and of themselves as well. For light, whenever it goes out, 
you blow the candle out, right? Just light it again. But what does he say about salt? He says if it loses its saltiness, it is worthless and will never be salty again. Did you know that salt is one of the most stable compounds known to man? Really. If you grind it up, grind it down to a just a little bitty, you know what you're left with? Salt. If you heat it up, you know what you're left with? Salt. If you dissolve it in water and then evaporate the water, what do you have? Salt. Salt today, as we know it, has nearly no impurities in it. That wasn't necessarily the case during the first century because in order for them to get salt, they had to go to either the salt lakes over at Cyprus or they had to get it out of the sea. And that process is really strenuous. I'm not going to talk about it here because it would make me tired thinking about it. But it wasn't as pure as it is today. So when Jesus says the salt loses its taste, it is really the word foolish that he uses there. When the salt becomes foolish. How does that make sense? Well, if we look at the Greek word, it's the Greek word meaning moron. And the translation for English of that word is moron. It means to be a moron. Am I clear? (laughs) That's the idea here. So how does that make sense? He's literally saying if if the salt becomes foolish, how does that happen? the salt becomes foolish, how can it be made salty again? I think what he's getting at is this. If either the moral or intellectual impurities in our life reach such a level that we become unstable, then, in this passage, we are given a very strong warning. You see, what kind of purity is our salt? Personally. How much impurity do I have in me. Because when it reaches a certain level, either morally in the things that I do, or intellectually in just not trying to know God better, there comes a point where I become ineffective and therefore useless. There's a story about a man in the Middle East who tried to corner the market on salt. So he goes out and he buys all the salt that he can possibly find. And he stores it in a place that unfortunately, unbeknownst to him, it was a little bit damp. And so all the salt gets damp and it gets ruined. So he starts thinking, what in the world could I possibly do with all of this? He can't eat it because there's a good chance that he's going to end up getting ill from it. He can't scatter it in his fields because if the cattle eat too much of it, they'll probably get ill. You know, you can't put it in his water in the river because then your water supply is ruined. It's poisoned. So what did he do? Well, the proverb says that he took those bags of salt, he cut and punctured holes in them, and he said he walked up and down the street and just disposed of them on the street so that men could trample it underfoot. This is what Jesus is getting at. You're the salt of the earth. How pure is your salt? There are two very big investments in our lives as Christians that we are going to be asked to make. The first one is this, the amount of time that we spend with God 
learning to be wise with Him. God calls us to know Him. To know His wisdom that is completely separate from the wisdom of the world. He calls us to spend time with Him. The second big investment is this. The amount of time that we spend investing in other people and how wisely we act with them. Do you ever think about that? The truth is, those investments are tough. The first one's really hard. I'm not going to deny it. The first one is difficult. To take time. All the things i got to do, right? You mean I need to sit down and I need to read God's Word and I need to talk to Him about what's going on in my life? Yes. Yes, you do. And that one's tough, but that one right there... That's the one that in some small way you feel pretty good about it after all. Because after time you get kind of good at it, right? You get good at taking that, that quiet time every day. But that second one is where the rubber meets the road. How much time do I invest in other people? Particularly in the people that don't know Christ. And when I'm with them, am I being wise in what I say, what I do, and how I represent God? Am I doing it in such a way that draws them to Him? Because that's what we're called to do. We have the most glorious and wonderful good news in the Gospel of Jesus. And I love talking about Jesus. I love learning about Him because the truth is He brings joy in a world that has very little of it. When we look at the world, we see that it is desperate to find wisdom It's desperate to find reality in other people. A little tidbit of information for you. You are those people. You're it. If I haven't told you lately, this is Jesus' plan for his message, there's no plan B. We're it. The more we're reminded of that, I think the better off we'll be, right? I say that not to scare you. I say that not to be trying to tell you that I'm perfect at it. In fact, I'm very far from it. I tell you that to encourage you. To encourage you to hold me accountable. So that whenever we're in this world, whenever we're sharing with others, we don't only just share the news about the big game or about the quarterback that just retired. We share the news of Jesus. The question is, will you take enough time to make sure you live wisely both with God and with other people so that others may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is how Jesus really gets his message started on the Sermon on the Mount. It's a very tough lesson. It's not necessarily the, the one you go home feeling you know, super happy about yourself probably. <laughs> recognize this is the message that Jesus starts with on the side of a mountain 2,000 years ago. He shoots you straight. He doesn't sugarcoat it. In fact, he covers it in salt, right? Sometimes that burns a little bit. Message is this. Are we being the light of the world? Are we being the salt of the earth? How pure is our salt? I pray that you will think about these things this week, that you will be encouraged to maybe step out on a limb with someone 
Maybe just ask them, hey, have you heard about Jesus? Do you know what he's done for you? Right? If you need prayers of the church, if you need encouragement to begin sharing your faith at all, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you. Or if you need to obey the gospel, if you need to respond to the message, the invitation of Jesus, we'd love to help you with that as well. Whatever your need may be this morning, we ask that you will come forward or go to the foyer in the back as we stand and as we sing.